Welcome to Stereo Geeks. I'm Man and I'm Ron. It's almost the end of 2020 and it's only fitting that our second detective mode episode dives into series finales. This year we saw the end of five shows that we've been following diligently for years. We'll be talking about The CW's Arrow, Marvel's Agents of Shield, How to Get Away with Murder, Supernatural, and Star Wars: The Clone Wars. Please be warned that since we're discussing finales, there will be spoilers ahead. If you haven't finished watching these shows, favorite this episode and come back when you're ready. The CW's Arrow ended with season 8 in 2020. The show kicked off the new era of DC Comics television properties and the now beloved Arrowverse or CWverse. But let's be honest, some of us we kind of tapped out a long time ago with this show. We thought it had run its course a while ago. And honestly, we were waiting for the finale to be over to finally put an end to this drama. Arrow may have started it all, but it fell away when the show refused to push any boundaries. Its finale was no different. I agree. The finale felt more like the final nail in the coffin. because the show's protagonist Oliver Queen played by Stephen Amell had already been killed off twice during the epic crisis on infinite earths crossover at the start of the year so the finale was really a prolonged eulogy by Oliver's friends and family and to make sure Stephen Amell actually got to be part of the show's finale despite his character being dead there was a flashback to Oliver as Green Arrow taking down a baddie in the past Honestly structurally this finale made my head hurt because we have the documentary style where they're all talking about how great Oliver was and his sacrifice bringing people back and you know shaping the whole new universe and it was a bit overwrought and what bothered me most was that the documentary style was a repeat of episode 150 which is a celebration episode um it didn't work then at least for me it didn't work and it definitely didn't work in the finale also I kept thinking that the Oliver flashbacks where he's fighting this baddie with these action scenes I thought that they were perhaps part of a previous season and I'd like blocked it from my memory but it wasn't it was literally shot just for the finale so that Amel could be part of it so that Oliver could be part of it and director James Bamford could show off his amazing cinematography his stunt team superb choreography the cinematic action sequences that action set piece was epic that was the best camera work i've seen in the entire show and they've done some innovative work when it comes to action stuff but despite it all i mean as much as i loved it it felt so incongruous i feel like the finale could easily have been spent having more personal moments between oliver and the people he'd actually left behind instead the show tries very hard to canonize oliver this is something that you we were talking about they're trying to portray him as a saint in this finale but he wasn't one he may have been killing bad guys but he was still killing I feel like oliver was inflexible be it his personality or his life as a vigilante It took a lot for him to see a different way and he wasn't much of a team player. I mean they tried that whole team arrow for a while and it didn't work. So he's not the greatest guy in the whole world, especially not in the Arrowverse. But because he started it off and it was like an homage to how Stephen Amell had basically carried this franchise, but honestly it it just felt inauthentic to me. especially if we're talking about an event that took place when Oliver was still new to being the green arrow 
He was definitely not a good guy at that point. So why pretend like his past sins are erased? He anyway got forgiven a lot. It just didn't make sense. Yeah, there's redemption and there's just erasure. And I feel like they kept trying to erase his past sins throughout the entire eighth season, especially during the crossover and definitely during the finale. I still feel like the crossover, it worked. Oliver becoming the Spectre and getting that kind of power to save the multiverse and create Earth Prime, that felt like something that Oliver of season 8 would do because he had had 8 seasons of learning from his past mistakes. The finale event didn't work because it was talking about something that happened before the Oliver that we now know. And the thing is that Dig even calls him out on it during the finale in the flashbacks. So I wasn't sure what they were trying to achieve there. Were they trying to show us that he had an arc? Yeah, we got that. We already got that. We spent eight seasons getting that. And I think the biggest problem with the finale was that it came close on the heels of Crisis on Infinite Earths. And that was epic. That was five episodes of DC madness. In the best way possible. Yeah, it pulled in everything. We were standing and screaming and shrieking in joy because we just couldn't believe these cameos, these surprises, these twists. And then there's the Arrow finale. I just think the timing was not good. I'm trying to think of a comic reference. And the first thing that comes to mind is Green Arrow issue that was released after Roy Harper's death. The entire issue is dedicated to Roy Harper's funeral. And it's all these people just talking about how much they miss him, what he meant to them. And Oliver in that comic is heartbroken because he realizes that he wasn't really there for Roy when he needed him. And it's very heartfelt. You don't really feel that bad for Oliver because you can't help but think, yeah, you weren't there. Roy needed you and you weren't there. But we don't get that from the finale. It's very disconnected. I felt like it was so much more of a tribute than a real celebration of the character. That's a good way of putting it because I think what we wanted was a celebration of eight seasons of a character that built a franchise. That's not what we got in the finale. So this isn't what worked. What did we like about it? Well, I really like that Oliver becoming the Spectre and sacrificing his life to create Earth Prime meant that he undid some of his past mistakes. The episode kicks off with him saving Moira Queen, his mother, uh, from being killed by Slade Wilson, which is great. And that kicks off the fact that he's actually saved a lot of his friends and family's lives, including Tommy Merlin, who died in the first season. And another person who he brings back from the dead is his half-sister, Emiko. She was a seasoned villain and then she was killed. And we see in the finale that Oliver has undone that. So she no longer is a stranger to the family. She's a part of their family. She's a good guy. So that's a good thing. I, for one, was relieved to see Emiko there. I didn't understand why Emiko had to be a villain at all. Her death seemed so pointless because every single woman in Oliver's life has been killed because of him. And I just thought Emiko really should have been spared that fate. I was relieved to see her. So while a lot of people have been brought back, it's weird that some people haven't. For example, he doesn't bring back his own father. I think I understand why they didn't do that because Robert Queen's death directly leads to Oliver becoming the Arrow. As much as the Queen family would have wanted him back, without the Green Arrow, none of them would have actually survived. So I guess that was one sacrifice that they had to make. Also, I don't think they wanted Robert back, so there's that. (laughs) That was not a good family. No, it wasn't. But what bothered me most was that Oliver decided against bringing back Earth One Laurel Lance. Now, this woman was the love of his life for the entirety of his five years in hell. 
she is the reason he kept on going and then because the showrunners decided that Felicity Smoke was the fan favorite love interest for Oliver they started writing out Laurel Lance in the show which led to the actor Katie Cassidy leaving the show and Laurel getting killed so wouldn't it make sense that Laurel would come back she doesn't we're stuck with Earth 2 Laurel Lance Black Siren or the Black Canary as she's back to being called now is a fantastic character she has a wonderful arc but she's not Earth 1 Laurel and I'm sorry but I love Earth 1 Laurel and I would have liked her back I love Earth 1 Laurel just as much I'm still not over her death for me Sarah Lance as Black Canary was amazing I still love the character but there's just something about Laurel Lance and her arc of becoming the Black Canary and such an integral part of Team Arrow that's a hole that just won't get filled yeah and we have to ask ourselves that did Oliver consult anybody before he made these decisions did he ask Sarah if she wanted her own sister back instead of the fake one so let's get on with how does the show end what's the end of the finale like well we see Felicity and Oliver in the monitor's version of heaven and it's kind of a twee existence over there it goes back to their first meet cute though it's not exactly the one that Felicity remembers it's the one that Oliver remembers so that was a little bit weird as well but you know what I don't mind it I just wanted to roll my eyes I'm sorry what he ended up in heaven with Felicity it doesn't work in arrow so i don't think it's a good finale but also i feel like my personal apathy towards this show in general colors how i view the finale is it a good finale a bad finale i don't know i don't care i'm just happy it's over i i wasn't that apathetic towards this particular ending for oliver and felicity we do know that felicity is going somewhere where she's going to be with oliver because we see an older version of felicity with the monitor and she gives up her life to be with oliver once again I think it's kind of sweet in a way but I have to ask why does she have to leave her children behind especially because they both found each other and they've both finally found their mom and they've all reconciled and then suddenly whoop she's gone especially since they've already lost their father so long ago and they've just reconciled with her they've become a part of a bigger team they're protecting their city it seems like a terrible time for her to leave That being said everything was kind of reset by the backdoor pilot of Green Arrow and Canaries so I'm not sure where it fits. Yes in a way I really do wish that we would get some answer on the Green Arrow and the Canaries show because I was interested. I wanted to see more of the two black canaries though I'm a little bit on the fence about Green Arrow so am I. Let's see if that show gets greenlit. There was a tease for another possible show though which I which I am more excited about indeed we don't know that yet we're just getting excited so at the end of the arrow finale john diggle swatton played by david ramsey he's going to join his wife and his sons when he gets hit by a meteor and he discovers a box and he opens it and all we see is this green light shining on his face now we don't actually get to see what the object is that dig finds but later it was confirmed by the producers that he did find the green lantern ring throughout the course of the arrowverse shows it's been hinted that dig is actually the alternate universe version of john stewart who was a green lantern in the comics and now it seems like they're suggesting that he actually is one the lantern ring has chosen him and hbo is supposedly making a green lantern series so could we see dig in that i really hope so i loved john diggle in arrow He had a very interesting arc. He started off as Oliver Queen's bodyguard. He became his best friend, his brother. 
he eventually took on the mantle of the green arrow which was something he coveted which nobody really realized so that is a very interesting direction for his character to go and i just enjoyed him and his partnership with lila his wife their their children they were both badasses and they just brought something extra to the screen i would like to see more of john diggle agreed there was a cute little resolution that happened which went under the radar i think so roy harper played by colton hands and thea queen oliver's younger sister played by willa holland they have had this on again off again romance throughout the seasons that they've been together and they both faced a lot of struggles with their personal lives with their own mental health due to a number of reasons but in the finale roy finally goes up to thea and says that you know what they're meant for each other he proposes and they kind of get a cute little happy ending it was an unexpected moment in the finale but it was really sweet i really enjoyed roy harper on the show so much so that i went looking for him in the comics thea started off as most of the other ladies on the show a bit for damsel in distress but she became a hero in her own right she was the red arrow she was great yeah exactly so it wasn't the finale that we were expecting it was more a way to say goodbye to the show once and for all as we said the show had done its course we honestly felt like we were watching arrow mainly because it tied into the other cw first shows i can't think of any moments in the last few seasons where the characterizations struck me as important the only memorable moment that i can think of is the episode that was directed by david ramsey aside from that i'm just glad arrow got to go out on its own terms and we got to say goodbye to these characters i agree with you i'm glad it's over i'm still sad that it's over but i'm sadder that it didn't try harder it's not a show that i would miss not that much but moving on to marvel's agents of shield so from dc to marvel agents of shield was a spin off from the marvel cinematic universe people loved club greg's agent phil colson so much that marvel decided to create an entire show about him despite the character being killed off on screen in the avengers now when it was announced that agents of shield would be ending with season 7 i thought finally yeah i thought it was long overdue but you know what they really made me want to eat my words throughout the 7th season this season was the show's best there was space travel time travel high stakes drama intrigue romance superpowers existential crises did i miss anything awesome characterizations the characters they truly came alive in this condensed season everyone had something new to contribute they helped the storytelling they moved the plot forward we saw connections we never expected to see between the characters more than anything else you could tell that everyone in front of and behind the scenes was having a gala time making this season i'll be honest here i think my enjoyment of this season was proportional to the lack of ian decaster's leo fits Listen, nothing against the man, but I do not understand why this character exists. All he does is whine. That's in my opinion. And then my enjoyment was doubly increased by the addition of Enver Jokai's Daniel Souza. I am so happy he got a happy ending to his story and that he was a precious cinnamon roll throughout his screen time. I have to agree on both points. I have struggled throughout with Leo Fitz. less so by Gemma Simmons played by Elizabeth Henstridge 
the combination of fitz and simmons was sweet and funny they added some comedy in their scenes but they worked in small doses the moment they became more important parts of the main cast i lost my interest in fitz as you said he was very whiny he was a bit clingy he had all these issues that he was unable to solve in any way and it seemed to bring down the stories quite a bit on the other hand daniel susa was such a lovely part of agent carter a show cancelled too soon i will never forgive you marvel and he fit beautifully into this season yeah i couldn't agree more i mean he's a fish out of water which is kind of how the agents are anyway but he's got this optimistic very kind gentle point of view and he had also this different kind of perspective which helped them in the end so i appreciated the fact that they grabbed this character who we were all very very fond of and gave him an entire character arc also can we take a moment to appreciate the fact that both the men in agent carter's lives were displaced from time she has an effect on men <laughs> the show has been on iffy ground for a long time i took forever to get used to it i was not very interested even though colson was fun in the same vein as torchwood the character that they'd made the show about became secondary to everybody else i also found that the stories weren't all that engaging they did do a few things that were different we got queer characters in the marvel universe thanks to agents of shield but for the most part i found that i wasn't really invested in these characters the character that i was invested in way back in season 1 grant ward turned out to be hydra so good times yeah i mean from the first season itself you felt like they were trying a little bit too hard but they didn't know what they were trying to do with it the first season was very directionless it only picked up after the whole hydra reveal and subsequent seasons they had good concepts but i felt like they often focused on the wrong characters or the pacing was off so what would happen is they'd hook you in but then it would become dull there was that entire arc where they went into the future they had to deal with the kree i love that i love that bit when they were in space but then again it fell away as soon as they were back on earth let's not forget they introduced us to gabriel luna's robbie reyes who is ghost rider that is still my favorite character in probably a lot of tv shows robbie reyes and ghost rider was so compelling I love the chemistry that Robbie had with Daisy Johnson but even beyond that the character was interesting his life his backstory everything mattered it made a difference to how we saw the story unfortunately he only got half a season because of budgetary issues they just couldn't work with special effects they just didn't have enough money and we didn't get to see him and you know what really bothered me i was hoping we would get a glimpse of him in the finale So was I I really thought that they had left the door open for the character to come back not as ghost rider but at least just Robbie so that we know what he's doing maybe he's part of shield now let's not forget Robbie made a sacrifice for Phil so he owes him one I mean come on one shot of Robbie enough of Robbie let's talk about the actual season let's talk about the finale What I liked about this final season was the time hopping. It was so fun. The creators really went with it. With every decade they changed the tone, they changed the style. They were really enjoying working with the fashion, the kind of characters, the world that they were building. It just made it so compelling because not only were the characters constrained by the world that they were in, but we the audience were compelled to follow them and understand how they would work within these mechanics. And you could tell that they were all having a jolly good time. 
there was so much joy in making this season it was palpable through the screen we were actively looking forward to catching the next episode which honestly we have not felt like that about this show yeah agents of shield has always felt like work it's not felt like fun but this season every single episode i was like yes i want to get in there get to know these characters get to know what else they're doing and how they fit in with this world especially let's talk about the 1980s episode where mac and deke are stuck in the 80s mac is absolutely distraught because he's just faced a huge loss in his life and he's stuck he's away from yoyo he's away from his team and on the opposite side is deke who's having the time of his life he is living it up in the 1980s but the way the characters come closer and they connect and the use of this ridiculous 80s music and style of shooting it really showed us what agents of shield could have been for so many seasons the cinematography in every era matches the cinematography of the films made in that era if they could do this in season 7 why weren't they doing it before you're so right and you know what i found by condensing the main cast to just a handful of really important characters and removing leo fits for the most part we got more time to get to know the characters they got a time to really flex their muscles there's so much time for minna wens melinda may to really grow into her powers and to finally connect with her emotions which is something that she's really closed herself off from especially because for her it's been tumultuous to be part of agents of shield and then there is natalia cordova bakli's elena yoyo rodriguez i feel like she came alive in this season she starts off the season not being able to access her powers and then eventually figures out what's going wrong and she just comes alive i love the bond between yoyo and mac they're such a cute couple I don't usually ship people but these two are just lovely. They are so adorable together and it, it's an easy chemistry. They're not working at it. It's just happening. But Yoyo got more to do in this season apart from being Max's girlfriend as well and I really enjoyed that. And you know what? We got an entire episode where Yoyo and May have to go and rescue somebody and it's majority women. It's great. We don't get to see that. So while I loved a lot about the final season, the finale was a damp squib. There's a lot happening in the finale. And it's action packed. It resolves pretty much everything. But for the characters, I don't feel like we got justice. I'm not sure why the finale ended the way it did. It concludes the main storyline very well. I love how the good guys outwit the bad guys in this one because honestly for the longest time it really felt like the agents of shield were on the back foot but they work together as a team use their skills and they come out on top but i feel like everything is undone by that very final scene and it's the one that you're waiting for it's just not happy exactly for the team to go back into their own timeline and their own time deke has to stay behind in the 1980s which he thinks is fine because he's successful he's popular he already has a team of friends he ends up leading his own shield unit which is great but he's actually from the future of our present and he's stuck in his far past is that really a happy ending for him and also let's not forget that the 1980s that Deke is stuck in is an alternate version of the one that he knows so it's not like he's ever going to actually have any of his friends from this world so yeah that's not a happy ending for him and when we meet the other characters 
they've been given happy endings which suit them they have a job that they like or they have families for example fitz and simmons they reunite with each other with and their secret child we all saw that from a mile away so it seems like they've retired and they're content with domestic life with yo-yo and mac i'm glad that they're still agents of some kind they're saving the world they're doing their thing but melinda is a professor that does not work for me at all may was a very good fighter she was a very good tactical mind i understand her needs to share that knowledge with other people and to train them it's just not the ending that i saw for her so colson is stuck as a life model decoy which is fine and he's hanging out with his car lola now now she's a flying car that's great but that's it the last couple of seasons we had this will they won't they between melinda and phil and the moment they got together the real phil died again so he comes back as this life model decoy but for some reason he and may can't be together i don't know why that was the direction for these two they had such great chemistry and i don't understand yeah i i was disappointed with that as well one person whose ending i liked was daisy johnson she is exploring the galaxy with susa and her sister cora and this ties in with some of her comic book runs a galactic space agent in daisy's entire story in this final season was lots of fun her relationship with susa was very cute i'm happy for them in their ending but i think you and i both had the exact same reaction when we saw that final scene it's not the individual happy endings that give people joy we have seen these characters work together as a team as a family for seven seasons a happy ending would be them being together but for some reason they're apart so the disassembly of the team was foreshadowed earlier in the season fine that's okay there is literally no shield for them to go back to so it's not a surprise that they're not going to be a team but the finale when they all come together in these vr virtual hologram forms it made it seem like they were just disconnected from each other it seems like they don't interact with each other that much they're not in each other's lives and that's what was so sad about it it felt melancholic and as an ending for a show that's always been quite bright and silly i don't think it worked at all i think it's okay for people to move on that's expected but these characters also moved away from each other which i felt did a disservice to the fans and to these characters that scene when they're all sitting in that vr circle it felt like those school reunions where nobody really wants to be there but you're just there because you're getting free food it felt so unlike what we had seen and i understand that they were not supposed to be a team forever but the exact words were that this would be their last mission why did they have to stop being a family i agree with you in a word i would say the agents of shield finale was depressing all right so in amongst all our genre shows that we keep watching was how to get away with murder or hot bomb as we like to call it so i loved tuning into this show and hanging out with these characters Yes, it was very melodramatic and the homicidal maniacs we were contending with was beyond the pale. But I loved it because what I felt was that these are such rounded characters and they almost always made sense. Every questionable move that they made, it was in character. I'm not saying that they're authentic or genuine, but they just made sense within the world that they were in. So I'll admit Hotcom is not going to be on anyone's best shows list ever but but you can't argue that it was some of the most compelling scenery chewing television that you've ever seen especially when you're talking about the lead of the show Viola Davis
That woman is a powerhouse. She can play any role. But the way she carries Hotcom, it's just unbelievable. If you're an actor, you just need to sit there and take notes because she is amazing. Talking about the finale, so we've had six seasons of crazy plots, ridiculous character twists, and you have Viola Davis's Annalise Keating fighting the biggest case she's ever had to fight, the fight to stay alive. In the finale, we see her on trial for every murder that has gone down over the course of the six seasons of this show. If she loses the case, she's going to be executed. And we see all these heroes and these villains take a stand. There's so much drama. You don't know if you can believe the heroes. You don't know if you can trust the villains. People change sides partway through. It's really compelling stuff. It's great writing. Annalise's life literally hangs in the balance. And there's so much drama going on around her. Some of it she doesn't even know. Like her aide Frank Delfino, he's just found out that his blood is as tainted as his actions. And it leaves his part-time girlfriend, Bonnie Winterbottom, absolutely disconsolate. Then there's the remaining Keating Five, her students. Connor Walsh, he finally wants to repent for his past crimes and he agrees to five years in jail. His husband, Oliver Hampton, sort of turns on their best friend, Michaela Pratt, and she ends up losing all her friends. And all this is going on while Viola Davis pulls out all the stops to make Annalise's closing statement the most brilliant moment of television for me this year. It is so effortless the way she delivers her lines. It is so real, the words that she is speaking. You are at the edge of your seat watching her. You're believing everything she's saying because she's got that conviction. She is a black woman talking about what happens to black women. And it's just astounding watching it. What I really liked about Annalise's closing monologue was that the writers made this speech less about just this one character and more about how black women in society are held to higher standards than everybody else. So it made it a universal speech, even though it was just about this one character in this bizarre world. The events of Hotagong don't feel very realistic, but the way the characters react to it, that is something that people in the real world will relate to. There's an authenticity to their interactions and actions that sometimes makes sense. You know what the funny thing is about Annalise being on trial? is that she's the most innocent character among the main characters. She's pilloried for all these murders taking place uh, throughout the seasons of Hotcom, but she's actually the only one who hasn't killed anybody. She keeps protecting the idiots who have. She really does get a raw deal because she's never done anything wrong. Everybody blames her for everything. But whatever she's doing, it's to protect people. It's to take care of everybody around her. And it's to clean up other people's messes. So true. So what I liked about the finale was that throughout this case, Tegan Price, who's played by Amira Van, is by Annalise's side. Now, they've had a sort of up and down relationship. It's been mostly professional. But we've all seen how Tegan has been making goo-goo eyes at Annalise. And listen, I've been shipping these two for a long time. And I was so happy when Tegan finally confessed her feelings for Annalise. Girl, what took you so long? Listen, I just said that I'm not into shipping, but these two I shipped. There was so much chemistry between them. And you know, initially, it was just professional. You could see that there was really no interest in that sense. But the more time they spent together, you could just see that these two people, they had so many similarities. They had a similar background. They had worked the same way. They kind of just seemed to come together. Absolutely. And in the end, Annalise does win the case. She isn't executed. 
However, we do have a couple of sacrifices which go down and it affects Annalise. I guess in a way we were expecting somebody to die. It had to be. It's the finale of an entire show. Somebody's got to die. And it turns out to be Frank and Bonnie. I did see that a lot of people were upset that Frank and Bonnie were killed. It felt like they had finally found some happiness with each other. That they were looking forward to some kind of future together. And that's when they were struck down. But the thing is that if you've watched the six seasons, you've seen these two come to a point where things are better, that they can be hopeful, and then something happens and it just derails all their plans. Maybe this was the best ending for them? I also feel like in the finale, they tried very hard to make sure that all the people who had actively committed some kind of murder weren't redeemed, which I think worked well because Frank was really a bad guy. That man was irredeemable. I don't care how nice he tried to be. The things that he did, no. If he hadn't died in the finale, he would have spent the rest of his life in jail. And Bonnie, despite her circumstances as a child, the kind of things that she did as an adult, unfortunately, there's just no coming back from there. She did kill Rebecca in cold blood. Yes, and she did murder her partner as well, though she did not want to. That was very unfortunate. So if anybody had to die, I guess it might as well have been those two. So the finale ends with Annelise's funeral. This is in the future. She's lived a long and very happy life with Tegan. We can assume it's Tegan, but they're not very obvious with that. It seems like she's finally found the love that she's always denied herself. And I really enjoyed seeing that. Connor and Ollie are back together. And Michaela, while she doesn't get her friends back, she becomes Supreme Justice and she has her own family. So that's a huge win in any book. Michaela was one of the best characters on the show. She was so driven, so complex. You could see that no matter what happened, that she had a plan for where her life was going to go. She was not going to let anybody stand in her way. And you know what? If that meant sacrificing her friends, good for her. But the piece de resistance of this finale was the final scene. So I could never have imagined that Hotcom's finale would make me so giddy with happiness. Because the closing scene echoes the series premiere. We see Alfred Enoch, he's biking to Middleton and he enters a classroom. But this time, it isn't Wes Gibbons attending Annelise's class. This time, it's Christopher Castillo and he's entering his class and introducing himself in this thick Spanish accent as the professor of the class. And he's calling it How to Get Away with Murder and it's inspired by his mentor. So that means that Annelise was able to stay in Christopher's life and he's following in her footsteps. Seriously, my heart. The, the finale was for the fans. It was the final chapter in these characters' stories and it was such a beautiful closure to all their stories. We got a glimpse of this very final scene in the mid-season finale. We had seen Alfred Enoch's character coming to Annalise's funeral. The picture that they had was of a young Annalise. So we assumed that something had gone wrong and that she was dead. But when we actually got to see the scene, it's Christopher Castillo and he's there with his mother, Laurel. And they also see Ollie and Connor there. And they're all there for the funeral. Eve is there saying a little eulogy for Annalise. It was such a hopeful optimistic ending for a show that was quite dark at times and especially for Christopher. His father being you know the guy who killed all those people and all the dangers that Laurel had had to go through to protect Christopher, to protect herself. Everybody turned out okay so that's great. Yep definitely one of my favorite finales of the year and such a contrast to the one that we got in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where everybody's moved away but here people have come together and you know what that's what we needed. 
Speaking of characters dying in finales. So we talked about Supernatural and its finale in last month's flashback favorites. But we're going to dive in a little bit more, especially within the context of the other finales that we've mentioned in this episode. Supernatural ran for 15 seasons before finally ending in 2020. Unfortunately, its finale was heavily impacted by the pandemic. You could see from the very start of the finale that this wasn't exactly how they had originally planned it. We also heard after the fact that they definitely wanted to bring in more fan favorite characters, more of the main cast, but they couldn't because of the pandemic, they weren't able to come together. In fact, Misha Collins, who plays Castiel, he said that the original plan for his character was very, very different, but he never read it because he wanted to enjoy the finale like a fan. What happens in the finale? The boys, Sam and Dean Winchester, played by Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles, go on one final mission to take down some vampires. And in a twist none of us saw coming, Dean gets impaled. So Dean's arc ends exactly the way he expected, which is that he dies young. I like the fact that like Hotcom, Supernatural ended the way it began. So it started with the two brothers, it ended with the two brothers. The thing is that the time between when the brothers ended their stories was huge. Because Dean dies as a young man, Sam continues to live on and he has to live without his brother. He has a family, he has a different life, but it's not without grief and sorrow. Having said that, it paid off exactly what it had promised. Dean always knew that being a hunter meant death was around the corner for him. And what I liked is he went out on his own terms. He wasn't a puppet on a string, which was something that he had been chafing against for years. It was sad to see Dean go, but at least he managed to do it on his own terms. Dean has had the chance to have a full life. We saw that back in season 6. But the moment Sam came back into his life, he stopped living the way he was. He went back to protecting his baby brother, even if it meant not having a family that he wanted to have. And you know what? Jack and Cass's heaven is the only place where Dean can finally just be himself without any of the responsibilities of his living self. Of course, it's really Sam that I feel awful for because living without Dean is really hard. Dean's his brother. He's the one he loves the most. And he's already lost so much. Unlike Dean, who only really knew the hunting life, Sam was always better suited for the real world. I like that we get to see Sam having a full life, even without his brother. But in the end, when he's with Dean again, you can see that he's just been waiting, waiting for so long. And I have to say that miniature little expression on uh, Jared Padalecki's face when he sees Dean in heaven was priceless. He's He was really good in this season. One thing I'll say is that I feel like we always knew that Sam could live on without Dean, but the other way around would never have worked. Aside from that short stint when Dean accepts that Sam is gone because he's been taken down to hell as Lucifer, we really don't see Dean actually living a life without Sam. Contrary to that, Sam moved away to college the first chance he got because he did not like living with Dean and his father. He was completely out of touch with them when he was in college and then he was dragged back into the hunting life. Later on, when Sam is soulless, he spends almost a year with his own team, his resurrected grandfather, and he doesn't even contact Dean. It's only by accident the two of them meet. And if you're thinking about regular Sam with soul intact, he lived a pretty much full life with a dog when Dean was in purgatory for almost six months. When Dean came back, he was so upset with Sam for not rescuing him, but that's exactly what he told Sam. So let's just say that when Dean was living without Sam, he always thought of it as a temporary stopgap. But with Sam, I think internally he felt like it was inevitable, which is why Dean was finally able to tell him that he needs to let it go, and Sam does. 
I don't think this is the finale we were expecting, but it did its job. It was sad, but it was also sweet and a little bit hopeful, I guess. Most of all, it was real. And that's saying something for a show about monster hunting brothers. Supernatural is probably one of the rare shows where the main protagonist's meeting in heaven works. It didn't work in Arrow, but here it's something that, you know, makes us want to fist pump the air. Especially when you compare it to the fact that heaven has changed so much under the guise of, you know, their godson, you could say. And it's a place where they can finally be together as family. We don't get to see all the family members, but we know they're there. And that's what we hope for the brothers. But what I liked the most was that at the end, there's Jared Padlecki and Jensen Ackles surrounded by a huge crew of people who are obviously making the show come to life, thanking the fans. I feel like Supernatural, while it hasn't always been good to its fans and it has mocked them, I feel like the people who are creating the show, they really do love the fans and they love what the fans have given them. Especially the fact that they've been going on for 15 seasons and it couldn't have happened without the fans. So it was a really nice way to say goodbye. Yeah, it was like this really beautiful ending because the show's first episode has quite a lot of time spent on a bridge and then the final episode sees them on a bridge. Then the actors speaking to the fans. It's quite a lovely moment because 15 years is a long time for a show to be made, but also for fans to be invested in the show long enough for them to actually be able to complete their arc on their own terms. So the show and the characters didn't really end the way anybody was expecting it to. But it went out the way it wanted to. They did the best that they could given the circumstances. I know we would have got a much more epic finale and many more characters in the finale had the pandemic not hit, had they gone on shooting the way they had planned to. But I feel like we got a really good emotional finale because of the constraints that the crew had to face. I feel like those constraints made the last half of this season more powerful. The acting came across more natural. And this finale as well, despite the fact that it was very pared down, it hit the emotional beats because this was the only thing they could do with the resources that they had available to them. The finale went back to family and that's what the show has always been about because we are all part of the SPN family. So finally on to Clone Wars. Now we dabbled in Star Wars, the Clone Wars off and on. But due to the pandemic, we found ourselves sitting down and just watching the whole thing start to finish. It took us a little while to get into it. The first season was a little bit choppy from time to time. The show does move back and forth in time for no discerning reason. So that was a bit difficult. But once we got hooked into the show, we couldn't let it go. And we were both eagerly anticipating season 7, but also dreading having to let the show go. So season 7 starts off similarly to the other installments of the show. But we finally get a conclusion to Ahsoka's story, which we'd left way back in season 5. But it segues beautifully into Revenge of the Sith. But this time it's from Ahsoka's point of view. And she sees Order 66 happening in front of her eyes. And she has to find her way out of it. She's aided by a handful of droids. Very cute. And eventually manages to get the chip out of Rex so he can join her. It's really heart-pumping stuff. Even though we know they're both alive, we've seen them both in Rebels. But you're still on tenterhooks throughout. So Ahsoka and Rex are on the ship full of clone troopers. And these are literally legions of people who are their friends or were their friends. In fact, most of the troopers had painted their helmets in uh, Ahsoka's markings to honor her return. And these are the same people who are fighting to kill her. 
And there's this sense of claustrophobia because they're stuck on this ship, they can't get off it. And Ahsoka and Rex don't want to kill the people who they've called their friends all these years. But in the end, the ship crashes, most of these people go down anyway. And Ahsoka and Rex end up having to bury their dead and bid their allies and former lives goodbye. When we see Rex in Rebels, we see him with fellow troopers who had also removed their ship. As for Ahsoka, she leaves her lightsabers behind on the planet where the ship crashes. This was her final gift from the Jedi, from her master Anakin Skywalker. She leaves the Jedi way behind because in Rebels, not only does she mention that she is not a Jedi, her blades are white, which obviously shows that she has no allegiance to the Jedi ways because we've seen the colors green, purple, blue, red for the Sith, and yellow, which Rey has, and she refuses to call herself a Jedi throughout that show. As if all this isn't devastating enough, we see Darth Vader arrive on the frozen planet where the ship had crashed and he uncovers Ahsoka's lightsabers. So we can assume that he's looking at these lightsabers and effectively thinking, that's it, this is the last vestige of my old life and she's dead as well. And this entire scene has no dialogue. It's just music and it's so melancholic that I think you and I both stop breathing. In typical Star Wars style, the scene was not supposed to have any dialogue. That's fine. That's expected. But the way it was shot, the cinematography, the simple tones of that background score, its feeling in motion and music, it was just beautiful. And you know what? If you've watched the finale, just check out the score on Spotify. This particular theme is called Burying the Dead. Even now, months after we've seen this episode, it still gives us goosebumps when we listen to it. I love this final season because we get to spend so much time with Ahsoka. While watching Clone Wars and Rebels, Ahsoka quickly became my favorite Star Wars character. Getting to see the events of Order 66 through the eyes of someone who survived it was really powerful and moving because Ahsoka is young. In Rebels, she's obviously older, wiser, but the Clone Wars Ahsoka is a teenager and her entire life as a Padawan was spent fighting this war. She has never known the peace that the Jedi are supposed to bring to the galaxy. And her last act as a Jedi is to fight the people that she had called friends. It's so so sad. But it's also the only way that this show could have ended. The smartest move that the creators made with this final season was centering Ahsoka. Yes, we get an episode about Obi-Wan and Anakin. Yes, we get a couple episodes about the Stormtroopers. But making sure that Ahsoka's story is told and concluded made the most sense. What I also have to commend the writers for is the way they segued into Revenge of the Sith. At the beginning of Revenge, we see Anakin is in this jolly, jovial, happy mood and it wouldn't make sense if if he lost his Padawan. This season retroactively fixes that emotion. Ahsoka comes back into Anakin's life, she joins the clone troopers, she even gets a promotion, she saves Mandalore, she makes a new friend in Bo-Katan Kreese, and it all makes sense. That's why Anakin is in such a good mood. And then by the end of it all, Anakin is Darth Vader. Ahsoka is fighting for her life against Order 66. And it's funny because just like in Revenge of the Sith, where you know the ending but you want it to change, the same happens with this finale. You know that the clone troopers are going to turn on the Jedi. You know that Anakin is going to turn into Darth Vader. And you still wish that Ahsoka had a happier ending. That the story can move in a linear fashion in such a way that makes you think that the ending is still a surprise. That is one of the reasons why we both love Revenge of the Sith. And that is why this finale is so well executed. The end of Clone Wars is dark. It was always going to be. But we didn't feel as depressed as we did when we watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think it's probably because, you know, there was 
no hopeful conclusion to this story in the sense that there is no hopeful conclusion for Anakin or Ahsoka at this point. But we know that eventually Anakin will come back to the light, that Luke will help bring balance to the Force, that Rey will finally defeat Palpatine. We know that all that is going to happen. So even though this particular episode has no hope in it, we can look forward to something. What worked with this finale was that while it was tragic, the emotional blows were well earned. It's sad, but it's supposed to be sad. Whereas, whereas Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. really had no business being that sad. That was the saddest happy ending I've ever seen. Whereas with Clone Wars, it's kind of a happy ending because Ahsoka could easily have died in Order 66, but she doesn't. The thing is that we've already seen Rebels, so we know that Ahsoka is alive. But for somebody who's just watching Clone Wars and then goes on to Rebels, knowing that Ahsoka survives that is something to celebrate. But even for Anakin, when he arrives on that planet and he's uncovering the lightsabers, we can see that there's so little snow on it that this is soon after he's become Darth Vader. By finding the lightsabers, he has some closure as well. It can start him on his path to becoming Darth Vader. That's not a great thing for him or for people who loved Anakin, but it leads him to become the person who will eventually throw Palpatine down that shaft in Return of the Jedi. We had a lot of feels about Clone Wars. We still have feelings about it. It was just such a surprising, melancholic, memorable ending for an animated show that was apparently made for kids. A very, very beautiful ending to a rather beautiful show. Star Wars at its best. Did these finales work for you? And which finales do you love? Let us know. You can find us on Twitter at Stereo underscore Geeks or send us an email at StereoGeeksPodcast at gmail.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode and see you next week. The Stereo Geeks logo was created using Canva. The music for our podcast comes courtesy Audio Nautics.